Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Oh, look at all of your beautiful faces. I am so happy to see all of you. Thank you so much for being here. I love that you brought your cats and your hats and your Santa hats and your trees and your desks and your gorgeous backgrounds. And my goodness, there are so many of you here. And we just appreciate you so much and all of the beautiful things you have said about your friends and all of the wonderful creative ways that you add to your community. And we just are so, so happy that you're here. Thank you so much. Good job, friends. Hi, everyone. We're really happy you're here. I'm Jessica Sinsheimer, agent, co-founder of MSWL, Manuscript Wishlist, and the Manuscript Academy. We are so excited to welcome you to our seventh annual holiday party. Yay! Um, We're so happy to get to celebrate with all of you. This is wonderful. We have one rule here, and that is to be kind to your fellow writer, okay? I know you can do it. You will be happy and pleased and find good friends, okay? So we have a message from Julie because her weather is quite bad. If any of you are on the Eastern Seaboard, you know about this. It is um, a big storm and Julie is in it. So here's her message. Hey, you guys, it's Julie Kingsley. We're having a crazy storm here in Maine and I'm afraid to say we lost our power. <laughs> it's totally crazy. Um, wish you guys a happy holiday. And I hope you just have the best break ever. Keep writing, you got this. I look forward to seeing you next year. Okay, so I personally loved how the thunder was absolutely on command in that video. I thought that was super fun. Um, And yeah, we just have a lot of beautiful things to share with you tonight. Okay, so just a moment to appreciate all of you. We know it's a busy time of year. We know the event took a lot of time and prep and thought and a lot more than most of our events. And we truly appreciate that you put in the time and effort and you supported your fellow writer. But we've had amazing things happen at these parties. Here's a letter we got this year, and then I promise very soon on with the show. Dear Manuscript Academy, I wanted to tell you about something truly amazing that happened all because of a story prompt contest. I don't remember who prompted it, but I won the holiday party contest last year in 2022 for the one paragraph story. It involved Krampus and referenced Monster Smut and won the majority vote, so it was a thrill that people thought it was so funny and festive. Well, thanks to that little prompt, I set about writing the story. It was meant to be a novella, but ended up becoming a full-length book. I just released my book yesterday. I'm proud and pleased to announce that Kidnapped by Krampus is a number one new release in Nordic myth and legend, number 10 overall bestseller, number one new release in fantasy erotica, number three overall bestseller, and even in the top 100 holiday romance and all because of a couple line story prompt from a holiday party through Manuscript Academy. If you could pass on my gratitude to whoever led that prompt, I would truly appreciate it. Thank you, Emily. So that was John Cusick who had the prompt from last year and now that writer is doing amazingly well. And Emily, we are just thrilled for you. (laughs) This is exactly what we want to happen. And by the way, if any of you have good news, 
please tell us. We love your good news. Um, I know someone else got an agent offer today in our community. We're so happy for you. Um, so yeah, um, this is a really wonderful thing that is happening. Okay, we have some amazing agents here. Why don't you all say some words about yourselves? Caitlin, why don't you go first? I'm so happy to be here. These events always make me so happy. This community is just so wonderful. Every time I do meetings with you guys. It's wonderful. It just, it brings out the happy of everything that we do. So thank you guys all for being here. Thank you, Jessica and Julie for setting this up. Um, I am a picture book and middle grade agent with Bradford Literary, and I just completed my 38th book deal after three years. Wow, so I'm very, very proud of it. Okay. Next up, Linda, tell us about you. Hi, everyone. My name is Linda Camacho. I'm an agent at Galton Zachary Literary Agency. And this is my first holiday party here, which is kind of nuts because I've been part of the community for, I think, since you started, Jessica, which yes, feels like forever ago. The very first filming day where wow. we rented a theater, hired a film crew, and then there were jackhammers. Anyway, yes, you've been here since the beginning. Thank you. Quite a while. Wow. That time really does fly. But this is so nice to see all your happy faces. And yeah, I represent like mostly children, some adults, uh, whatever kind of catches my fancy, which is, I think, the beauty of being an agent for all of us that we kind of will go with the project that really excites us. So yeah. Hello. You also did a beautiful class for us. You came to my former agency office and you recorded a class about how to make a manuscript that everyone wants to keep reading, which I think was so insightful and nice and timeless and lovely. And thank you for doing that. Um, Kiki, come on down. Yo, what's up? Um, I'm Kiki Kiana Nguyen. Um, I'm a junior assistant literary agent. <laughs> All those words. Um, at the Autumn Literary Agency, I've been with them since like I was an intern in 2016. Um, I've also been with Manuscript Academy, same since day one with Linda and with Jessica and Julie. So that, that's been super rad. I represent that in YA and adult. And I honestly started rambling and I can't stop and I'm done. Um, yes, Josh, we love that she said the word rad. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for being there in the past and just being awesome and being you. Happy to be here. Stephanie, tell us more about you. I'm Stephanie Winter. I'm from PS Literary Agency, and I represent a lot of nonfiction graphic novels and some lot fiction in that like thriller, spooky space. All right. Um, we are so happy everyone is here. This is going to be a fun, supportive night. Writers, if you could please go get your queries, pages, and nominations so that they're handy in case we call you up, we appreciate that a lot. While you get those, a few nominations stood out to us just because they were particularly awesome. Cyril, would you would you be willing to come up and read yours? Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'd love to read my nomination because I nominated my friend and uh, writing group partner, Casey Schultz. Uh, I wrote, I am so excited to nominate Casey Schultz, my brilliant and hilarious friend whose work in progress, The Copper Canary, delights and inspires me at every meeting of our biweekly critique group. Casey is exactly who I would want on stage if I was hosting a party like this that was part critique, part virtual holiday celebration, um, because she is passionate about her words and ideas. She is super nerdy for craft. Uh, she's quick with her disarming sincerity and um, with her good-natured and occasionally biting sarcasm. Um, Casey's storytelling ideas are wildly ambitious. Her attitude is playfully self-deprecating, always self-deprecating, and her energy is slightly ADD in the very best possible way. 
In short, I think Casey is exactly the kind of writer who many of you, many of us on this call would be lucky to hang out with, could probably totally identify with, and whose success will have all of us rooting for her. Um, events like this uh, just might help Casey get out of her own head and give herself some of the credit that she so very much deserves for just how great she is. Wow, can you write my letter of recommendation for like literally anything? I just said the same thing in the chat. I was like, can you be my publicist? <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? And so reading stuff like this from all of you, I think it's so important that what is happening, you know, the world is a scary place sometimes. And what we really have are our relationships. And to see the beautiful relationships so many of you have with your writing friends is just such a wonderful thing. Casey, I actually read yours to my mom. I hope that's okay. I'm at my parents' yeah. for the holidays. <laughs> Would you read your nomination, please? Yes, I will. Okay, if critique partners were characters in a teen angst movie, Cyril would be the older cousin character, walking around in the aftermath of the big party with a 10-gallon trash bag, trying to talk sense into our coming-of-age author. Cyril, yes, he knows author didn't mean to procrastinate on their manuscript. And yes, he knows it was actually mean beta reader's fault that the expensive tchotchke of a protagonist backstory fell apart and slow-mo crashed to the ground and now the entire character arc is ruined. But he also knows that what author really needs right now is to get back on track. And so he becomes the concerned coach, tough love teacher guy in the chair mentor, and delivers a John Hughes-worthy monologue that resets author's priorities, boosts her confidence, and changes her subplots for the better. In summary, Cyril is the Manuscript Academy of Critique Partners. He doesn't get nearly enough out of our agreement for how much he gives. He will say that I'm exaggerating and that he doesn't know what he's doing, and although normally his assessments are pure gold, this is where he falters. His writing is... Brilliant. Honestly, brilliant. The novel he is working on now is a carefully plotted, thematically complex masterpiece in the rough that is just a few ounces shy of becoming a diamond. I honestly can't thank him enough for all that he has done for me and my writing, um, but I hope this is a start in repaying him. Most of all, I hope it gives him the boost he needs to stop feeling like things aren't going well, <laughs> particularly when I would happily hold up his work up high for all to see with every ounce of unwavering reverence held in my angsty author heart. Gosh, okay. I wish for all of you that you get a writing relationship like this. This is, this is beautiful. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. I love it. I got the chills. Like I thought you had me at John Hughes and then you did the great analogy. And then I was like starting to cry at the end. Oh my gosh. Sorry, we're not supposed to be analyzing these. I apologize. <laughs> no, but people are. This is this is lovely. Thank you. Okay, so again, writers, I hope you have your pages and your queries ready. We are about to start with the main event of the evening. Before we get into that, though, you know us. We can't have a party without giving you lots of prizes. So there will be prizes at the end. Please stick around for that. They will be great fun. Okay, Caitlin, please come on down and tell us about your nominee. So my nominee is Philippe Mafistan, I believe, Mafistan. And he was nominated by Suzanne Diffany. Suzanne, if you could come on down and say some nice words from your nomination, we would love that. Welcome. So, oh my gosh, are you coming from like a theater premiere or something? I'm in the middle of a concert, listening <laughs> to the concert with one ear, and Manuscript Academy with the other. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for, for joining us. That's amazing. All of you have, um, yes, we love your dedication. Lots of dedication here. So tell us about your nominee. Well, Philippe is my hero. He loves children. He's worked with UNICEF, uh, Global Fund for Children. As a former teacher myself, I love that he is dedicated to our youth. And as an English teacher, I appreciate the fact that he loves to play with words. He knows the power of words, the playfulness, how you can create reality with words. So that is why I nominated him. That is beautiful. Well, thank you so much. All right. So, Philippe, will you read your first page and tell us about you a little bit and what you're hoping to learn more from our agent panel tonight? Sure. Happy to. So uh, mostly just, you know, uh, this is my actually my first time joining any event like this, but hoping I can get some feedback both on the quality of the writing itself and, you know, what, what the representation potential is for, for the book. And of course, I have to thank Suzanne. That was, that was an amazing nomination. Thank you so much. And Caitlin, tell us about this page and the things you love and why you chose it. Okay. I have a ton to say, so feel free to cut me off anytime. First of all, like Suzanne said, as a teacher, but for me as a math teacher, I was super floored to hear that you're writing a picture book about the Fibonacci sequence. Like most people don't know about it. Every picture book that has numbers in it is about counting. Don't get me wrong. Those are phenomenal. But if you could do a Fibonacci sequence picture book well, oh my God, even those editors that are like, I hate math. That's why I'm in the publishing industry would be like, give me, give me, give me, please. Right. If you could do it well. Oh, so. <laughs> no pressure. Hey, and do you have your first page and query handy? Uh, yes. Great. Go ahead. In the lush green hills of the central plateau on a farm in Tomond, Mama asks Magoat, to go to the clinic to pick up Papa's heart medicine. Are you listening, Magloire? She often gets in trouble for being distracted, but there is something she loves about numbers. One pot of coffee, two cups, one each for Mama and Papa. Three plates of food. Yes, Mama, one plus one equals two, two plus one equals three, three plus two equals five. After breakfast, she hops on her bicycle daydreaming about a classroom and school uniform. Five bleeding goats snatch her attention. Eight people greet her with warm smiles and shout good morning along the way. Five plus three equals eight. Eight plus five equals 13. She sees the string dancing in front of her eyes, or she closes her eyes and a smile slowly spreads at the string of numbers dancing in her mind. And then I have written out one, one, two, three, five, eight, thirteen. 13. Minachi sequence. <laughs> and could you read our, your query for us too? Sure. Uh, this was addressed specifically to Linda. Is that all right? I stole oh, him. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do whatever is most comfortable for you, Linda. I'm sure we'll take it as a compliment. So yeah, go for it. Great. Thank you. Dear Ms. Camacho, thank you for offering to be part of the manuscript wishlist agent panel. I'm especially touched that Angela Blaine and Suzanne Define, WMSL Facebook friends, nominated me for panel review. Penguin Random House to what to Writer's House, Foreign Rights to Operations. You have dealt with numbers. As picture book readers, most of us encounter them in one, two, three children's counting books, no pun intended. Maybe some of us have heard of a country called Haiti, mainly known for its poverty and unrest. In Let's Count Feeble Style, a bilingual English Creole work, meet Magloa, a young girl who loves the Fibonacci sequence and uses her numeracy and courage to help her family. My family immigrated from Haiti five or six decades ago, but I've been raised in and love the culture. My books embrace both Haitian and American identities, and my background enables me to pay special tribute to the former 
with Let's Count Feeble style. Let's Count Feeble is intended as a picture book for U.S. children ages four to eight. With the added Creole translation, I hope it resonates with young Haitian or Haitian American readers and parents who want their children to have a different idea of Haiti's potential. Oh, I love that. And my dad tells me stories when he visited Haiti. So that this was like even more like, oh, I'm so excited to hear that. And it, it's just, I love that idea of like having a different viewpoint. I did not expect to see Fibonacci sequence, especially as a picture book here. So I'm very, very excited. And then what I love too, is like a lot of times when we have like counting books or math books, it's very focused on the math as opposed to the story. And as everyone said in the chat, like you are a beautiful storyteller. And the fact that you can take a story and add that layer of Fibonacci or be inspired by Fibonacci and add that layer of a story, I mean, you're just going to blow everyone's mind. And that's what we want in the publishing world, right? Editors always want something unique and interesting that hasn't been seen before. You have found it. Keep it going. Um, Thank you so much. You're welcome. I love that you established the character's flaw so quickly, which is very important in every book, but especially a picture book to get it right there. And what I can't wait to see is how that flaw on being so focused on and preoccupied with math really helps her overcome that obstacle that she faces in the story. If you can do that, chef's kiss. I would love to see more dealing with the adding on aspect that you have with like the one, one, and then the two right at the beginning with the parents and how beautiful that is, especially if you can culminate. So I love that it kind of in the next one went off to this beautiful scenery description. But if you can do like a cumulative where something that has to do with the numbers accumulating builds up to the plot issue that she has to solve, oh, I Okay. Have to, like bite fist, like, ah, oh, that would be amazing. A good comp that you can look at is One Family by George Shannon and Blanca Gomez. It doesn't have the story as well with a great arc that you already have, but it has that concept of like that idea is one, but then it talks about how a pair can be one and how like eight can be one and things like that. So you can kind of use that as like another guide to motivate you as you're working really hard to make this story super awesome. Because it's a picture book, I think the way that you have it is super awesome, but you can also do some stuff with playing with art notes where, you know, it could be like you have like for the mom, you know, like her saying like, you know, one cup for mom, one cup for dad, two happy parents, three plates of food to enjoy together, and then have an art note of them trying to get her attention and them not being able to. But I think the way you did it is really good. But I just want you to kind of have an idea of like how you can play with art notes there. Um, keep up that beautiful symbolism of that pattern. <laughs> but if, the part that I wanted to add on was if you can work on not just that the sequence itself and the building of itself culminates the problem, but that somehow also creates the solution. And the fact that she has that flaw also is incorporated in that solution. It would be amazing. For the query, I really love that you have the statement that says my family immigrated from Haiti five or six decades ago, but I have been raised in and love the culture. That is not a but, Philippe. That is an and. That sentence should read, my family immigrated from Haiti five or six decades ago, and I have been raised in and love the culture. There is no but there. That is your culture. Be proud. Take out that but and replace it with an and. That's my main recommendation for you. And thank you so much for sharing this with us. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Oh, that was beautiful. Does anyone else on our panel want to jump in? It makes me so happy 
Caitlin, that we have a, a math teacher here who is the perfect fit to talk about this book. This was such a beautiful interaction to see. Um, did anyone else on the panel want to add anything? You're all allowed to have conversational right of way, of course. Sure. Uh, you know, it's it's such a fascinating topic. I don't know. I've only ever heard of the Fibonacci sequence. And I know years ago, trying to look it up and trying to understand it. And I think this is the kind of picture book that might actually teach me <laughs> that I might actually learn it. And yeah, I would say, honestly, nothing to add from my perspective, but I really like that. Yeah, this is such a unique topic and it's just done in such an intriguing way. And I can't wait for this book to eventually be on the world. And I have no doubt that it will be. And sometimes it's hard to balance story and idea, yeah. right? And, and I especially think for nonfiction, it's just prescriptive nonfiction in particular. It's just so, yeah. It's really a tough balance. Yeah. Right there, Linda and Jessica and Caitlin, like the pattern was so lovely. And then to hear it as well, the story and the pattern and the math, like my brain understood math once, not anymore. And so to be able to like have all those things married together where I'm following the math is like really cool. Like this is such a good story. Lucy says, I hope Manuscript Academy will announce this publication. So um, <laughs> yes, if you get a book deal, will you please let us know so we can tell everybody and they can be happy for you? Absolutely. And that goes for everybody here. If you get a book deal, tell us so we can be happy for you. Okay. Hopefully we will be reading a letter from you next year saying that your book is also a bestseller. Thank oh, you so much. Can I a quick comment real quick? Yeah, of course. I, I don't want to get too emotional right now, but I do want to say fully like, and to everyone that the stories of our liberation and our cultures and our traditions and just generally like our people as individuals that we share with the world are so important, especially for children right now. And um, I think that's so clear in the way that you're sharing um, your character Melba's story through the love of her math. And um, I just think that's like um, something that's like really important and vital right now. So just support you in that. We love you, Kate. We're so happy this is happening. Thanks so much. Writing is powerful. Keep doing it, okay? All right. Linda, are you ready? I am. Okay, I'm going to call Kelly to read a nomination. Um, so I'm nominating Heather today. I met Heather about five years ago through SCBWI, which is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And we've been in a critique group ever since. Um, I've seen multiple drafts of her project, which is a YA contemporary romance with some themes of grief and loss, really important topics. And I've loved all the versions. Uh, she's a super talented writer and great at making you feel all the feels. When I read her first draft, I cried. <laughs> um, she's just so talented. And she recently started querying. And I mean, it's always hard to put yourself out there. So I think now more than ever, she deserves all the love and encouragement. And I'm really excited for everyone here to get a feel for her writing. That's beautiful. Thank you. Heather, come on down. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh my gosh. That made me emotional, Kelly. <laughs> Linda, tell us about your thoughts here, and, and then we can jump on in in a moment. Yes. So the writing, you know, this story, it's called uh, All the Oceans Inside Us, which is such a lovely title, and it's YA contemporary, which is, you know, 
always hard to do, especially given the market in general, but I can always talk about that later. And what I loved about the story is that it's just so well written. Like it has such great voice. I really felt connected to the protagonist and that's not so easy to do. I think, especially, you know, we're adults and I, even when my own writing, I find it can be so hard to get into that teen mentality. I bring sometimes too much of my own adult self into it. And Heather doesn't do that. You know, I think Heather does strike a fine line, a fine balance. So I really, that first page just, it flew and I felt really connected. Oh, Heather. Um, so Thank what, you so much. <laughs> what do you need help with? And would you read your query in first page? Okay, I'll start with my query. Dear agent name, I'm honored to send my query for my contemporary YA novel, All the Oceans Inside Us, 77,000 words. 17-year-old Tabitha's paintbrush doesn't work anymore. Since her brother's death, no matter how many times she paints the coastal main landscapes around her, the water is lifeless. The sky fades to gray. When a professor at her dream art college gives her a negative critique at a prospective student event, her fears are confirmed fix her work or lose her dream. Desperately seeking inspiration, she reaches out to her former best friend, Henry, who she'd stopped speaking to two years before. They reconnect through letters and Tabitha learns that Henry has held on to the plans they'd made years ago. He's working toward the same school with his photography. When Henry invites her to spend Christmas break at his coastal cottage where they vacationed as children, she hopes he can help her portfolio. They spend the trip collecting images from their favorite places near the cottage. What Tabitha didn't predict was snowy stargazing or polar plunges or the way Henry's shared understanding of grief would help her begin talking about her brother. But as their connection deepens and the application deadline looms, Tabitha faces losing everything again. If Henry's accepted and she is not, He'll leave while she's trapped in her small, small town life. Can she put her heart back into her artwork and into Henry? Or will her fear of loss push her further adrift? All the Oceans Inside Us explores our deepest emotions, the darkest storms and sparkling light, and how art can help us keep giving pieces of ourselves to the world, even when it's scary. It will appear to readers who enjoy the themes of The Words We Keep by Aaron Stewart, and the Grief, Art, and Childhood Friends to Lovers Elements of the Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan. Um, I'm a member of SCBWI, James River Writers, and it has my, you know, like my personal bio at the end. <laughs> and, and your page? The leather straps of my art portfolio etch a groove into my palm. I shift it from one hand to the other and grip the handle of the towering glass door to the Portland Convention Center. As I push it open, I'm nearly swept into the wave of prospective art students surging through the atrium. Like me, they're here to get the verdict. Is our work good enough? I scan the crowded collage of faces, the shapes and colors jumbling like a Picasso. Will he be here too? I walk toward the large, che large check-in table, the event banner shouting above it in black letters, the National Portfolio Review Day, hosted by the University of Southern Maine. Can I help direct you? A woman with frizzy orange hair and tortoise shell glasses beams a squinty smile at me. Uh, yes, thank you. I'm looking for the New York College of Art table. Oh, they have an excellent program, she says, pushing an information pamphlet into my hand. Which others will you visit? I grip my portfolio like a lifeline. 
I'm just here for the NYCA. She blinks at me. We have a large selection of reviewers, so take some time to see as many different schools as you can. It's a wonderful opportunity. I'm here if you have any questions. I begin to wade across the atrium, past lines of students waiting for their turns. Reviewers smile and question and point, and students shuffle and explain and scratch notes. My heart thuds in my chest, and the voices around me buzz in my ears, the collective anxiety and anticipation frothing like a white cap sea. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and and this is just so well written. I think, you know, it's like even just going starting with the page, you do a lot of showing as opposed to telling, which is always a wonderful thing, right? I think it's so easy to want to say something like, you know, this character is feeling nervous, but no, you use very specific language, right? You go, the leather straps in my art portfolio etch a groove into my palm. That says so much. Like, I really can feel that. And later on, I grip my portfolio like a lifeline. And you also have really lovely imagery, right? Like the collective anxiety, anticipation, frothing like a white cap sea. It is so visual. So the writing is just so great. And the query is really good too. It's like, it's a solid query. And what I would probably do just to make, to tweak it and make it stronger is how do you give just a little bit more specificity, right? So you have this character, Tabitha, she's lost her brother. So she's clearly in the depths of grief. And she, on top of that, she's dealing with that. And she has this dream. So you go, her fears are confirmed to fix her work or lose her dream. And I know you sort of go on, you know, I, she wants to get into this college, leave a small town, and all of that's really interesting and good. How do you make it even more specific, right? How do you make this issue very specific to the character? Like, how do you show me the stakes a little bit more, right? So what's the worst? I mean, you don't have to spell it out completely, but how do you give me a sense of, all right, like if I took any kid on the street and their, their dream is to get into a great college and maybe leave their small town, what makes this character really unique? Why is it so important to this particular character? So just a little bit of more of that specificity. And especially with contemporary YA, though I, it is kind of funny because whenever I talk to writers, I go, oh, that's a hard market. And then I talk to people about middle grade. I'm like, that's a hard market too. And picture books, that's so everything's hard. It doesn't mean impossible. It just means, okay, how do we present your really talented work in a way that makes someone's eyebrows go up, right? How do you position it? How do you market it? And so, especially in the query letter, not every story has a hook, right? And obviously I've only read the first page. This might be a quieter, lovely story. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Not everything is like Michael Bay, you know, explosions, this thing and that happening. But then if someone says the thing is too quiet, if that's what you're getting feedback on, I'm not sure. Then you might, again, it always goes back to stakes. So indicate the stakes, indicate the tension, right? Because even the quietest story has that tension to make the reader turn the pages. And then when you go into that page, I think this is a good opening, but I don't think it's yet like there, like, I think if people think this is, cause I think you might've said, people have said it's familiar, right? Mm -hmm. That was one comment. Mm -hmm. Familiar, right? And I see the potential here. How do you, and again, beginnings are hellish. I think they're harder than even coming up with the ending. And I wish I could say, oh, just do it this way. And then that's the perfect opening. Cause again, I don't 
know the whole story. And this might be the best opening, but I don't know if it is. I think we can dig just a little bit more. And I'm sorry if I'm torturing you because you probably already have tortured yourself with this story. And there's so much really great stuff here. It's just when, like, for instance, your your comp titles are Emily XR Pan's book, right? Astonishing Color of Ever After. There's death there, right? Her mother dies by suicide in the story. And it opens up with her visualizing her mother as a bird. And that like is a really striking image because you don't see that that often, right? So it's the visualization, right? And the really beautiful lyrical language. And your, your writing straddles that. And again, it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a style, right? So you have lovely language. It straddles commercial and literary. And that's a nice space to be in. So that means is you're going to have to rely slightly more on a hook if you can plant that in the query, if not upping the stakes in the query to get someone to read, once you get them to read, how do you create this opening that really, really pops in a more unique way? And so Astonishing Color of Ever After, you comped that. That was great. Uh, All the Oceans Inside Us, I haven't read, but when I looked it up, I saw that in the first page, it's memories of the character and her sister, who mm-hmm. was, I think she was doing self-harm in the story. And then those snippets of memories form a connection between the reader and the character. So it's also done in a unique way. So maybe finding what might work for this story, if people are saying, this is really good, but I've seen it so many times. Mm -hmm. So I wish I could say what that opening is. If I had the formula, it would be with all my (laughs) clients, but so good. And I just want you to amplify this opening so that you can keep people reading because I have no doubt the rest of the story is fantastic. Thank you so much. That is very helpful. I'm glad. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Getting lots of love in the chat. Does anyone else on the panel have any thoughts? But just a comment to what Linda was saying about beautiful descriptions. Like I felt like I sat up when I was listening to your query being read and you were talking about like polar plunges and snowy stargazing. You, you have really lovely turns of phrase. So everything Linda said, I could not say it better. Thank you so much. That's what I always say too. Whatever Linda said, that's the best. Uh, No, but I really, I, you know, my focus is picture books and middle grade. And that's what I love to digest myself. I still kind of live in like a 12 year old mind. Um, So YA is a little out of my space. So I can't say that this is true for everyone, but like if the YA that I have read, I don't see this kind of awesome, like lyrical visual kind of stuff. So I think that that, you know, can set it apart. And if Linda's saying, keep doing the same thing, but better then keep going with that. Lots of really supportive comments in the chat too, Heather. I feel, I feel so supported. Yeah. I feel like it's just so helpful because you're, you know, writing different drafts and, and working on different things. And so to get actual feedback and thoughts that some of this is in the right direction and where I could tweak it is just incredibly helpful and very buoying. Yeah. That's the goal. Oh, that's nice. Someone says you are the real deal, Heather. (laughs) I'm glad you feel supported and you can feel the energy of all the chats in here. Very much. All right. Next up, would Katie please come on down and read your nomination? Hi. Oh, look at you in the sunshine in the mountains. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Um, So Marilyn Hammock, I hope I'm saying her last name right. She and I got to be friends just this week. And she sent her first page and it's a thriller. So it's called A Piece of Forgotten. And it's a page turner about Grayson, whose husband disappeared. 
And she now she can't remember the events during the night of his disappearance. Um, and it's written with a ton of sensory detail. And I found myself wanting more at the end of it. And um, also a little bit afraid to go out. I was reading it at nighttime. So I'm really excited for her. Thank you. And okay, so Marilyn, if you could unmute and come on down. Yes. Hello. I'm here. Hi. Hi, Marilyn and Kiki. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your choice here? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I love thrillers. So I was like, <laughs> great <laughs> for me. I also think um, I, I was really interested in uh, working with this too, because I feel like memory play with thrillers is also something that's like very thing. I think that, yeah, some of the sensory detail, there were just like really key moments that felt so specific. And I was like, oh, I really, I really like that. Because I think it's like really hard when you have a character that has like memory loss and is trying to essentially like investigate what happened in that blank space. It's just so fun. So it's excited, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and also just for all of you out there, I was with Marilyn in a welcome tour today and Marilyn was delightful. And for an hour, <laughs> I had to pretend that I didn't know that she was Kiki's choice. Did I succeed, Marilyn? I know I was a little weird, but like, did no, you? No, you were not. You were so friendly and so nice. I mean, I instantly went on to X. God, I sound so old. And I, I put in there about how wonderful you were and, and warm. And my husband looked at me and he goes, what are you doing on your phone? I said, <laughs> I, have to, I have to say how wonderful it was. And he goes, what you were doing on your laptop? Yes, my husband's old too. And and uh, I said, yes. I said, I know we got to go somewhere, but I have to do this. It was so wonderful because you were so down to earth. Okay. So my query is, uh, dear Jessica and Julie, I've listened faithfully to your podcast and I've loved the empathy, advice, and humor that both of you have brought to my life as an aspiring writer. Grayson is still reeling from her husband's disappearance last Christmas, where a trail of blood led to the darkened woods behind their home. She tries to balance having her definition of a normal life and realizing that something desperately wants her attention. Why can't she remember anything before her husband, Noah, walked out the back door? Is the sudden snowfall in her hometown of Chantilly, Texas, bearing more than just the ground? She copes by teaching second grade and taking her Aunt Amelia to church, which has been her tether to the normal world she craves. Yet Grayson can't help wonder if her mind is protecting her from something unspeakable. She remembers snippets of a heated argument with Noah before he walked out their back door. She recalls remnants of rage surging through her. Did she follow him? As it comes closer to the anniversary of Noah's disappearance, she defines disturbing notes on her desk, terrified that someone knows something. She tries to remember what happened on that fateful day, only to find that she might be more of a monster than she could have ever imagined. A piece of forgotten weeps back to fractured memories of a childhood filled with witches and magic to the present, where Grayson must confront not only who she is, but what she is becoming. And then I say a little about me. Yay. Okay, Kiki, over to you. All right. So bet. Um, honestly, I remember reading this and I was like, the thing, and also about your first page too, is that it's very clearly a thriller. I think that one of the hardest things with queries in which I wouldn't necessarily like be like, oh, this is like the thing that you need to focus on is atmosphere. And I feel like that there's a clear atmosphere in this query that lets me know that it is a thriller. I think it also points to what you have here. It points that you know your main character very well. 
and the circumstances. And here's like what my note is that we know all these questions that happened with her internally and what she's worried about, but not necessarily the plot. Um, so we can sort of take these details that you have in your query and sort of pare it down to more story than sort of her internal conflict. So it's, it's good to know that, um, you know, uh, so her husband disappeared around Christmas time and then there's like this trail and she's trying to balance her life. Right. But maybe we don't necessarily need to know about like the sudden snowfalls and sort of those little tiny details that like do good to create imagery, but the query is mostly about character and story. I would say more so in how does the confusion around his disappearance affect her life? How does it affect her relationships? And is it something that really troubles her to such an extent that like, why hasn't she sort of investigated before these notes? Right. So that, and that helps us get a sense of um, her issue or like her character want or need. Um, Like what is the thing that's like, you know, is she afraid of knowing more or whatever? And then it happens like, then she can't avoid it anymore because she's getting these notes. And then when it comes to like the nature of the notes, yeah, what is the nature of them? Are they threats? These little like, like, you know how, I know what you did last summer. (laughs) I, you know what I mean? And because I think kind of getting a sense of what that threat is lets us know about her character because what threatens her? Is it an emotional thing? Is it a sense of her physical safety? So I think that you can you can kind of twist around what you have here because it's clear to me that you know your story very well. And it's just like distilling it for us. And I think queries are honestly such, they're booty and they're really hard <laughs> to write. <laughs> and I think honestly, for the most part, agents really do take that like into account when reading them. And as long as we essentially get like an idea of who your character is and what the story is involved with, like that helps a lot. So thank you. Okay. A piece of forgotten. There's a quote. I can't tell that this will be my laugh as long as my heart is beating and I am breathing. There is no defeating me. And then we have the prologue. The scream reverberated painfully throughout the darkened woods. The nothing in and out in and out, my breathing rapidly increasing as my eyes surveyed the darkened woods. My breath dashed in the frigid cold air as I stared out into the night. Desperately, I searched for answers that weren't there. A lone howl from my coyote called back. My nails dug into the sides of my pale thighs as always. Goosebumps decorated my bare skin as I unclenched my hands, blood trailing down to pull at my feet. I took one less look at the woods that refused to give up its secret and slowly made my way back into the safety of my home. The water from the sink was ice cold as I proceeded to clean myself up. Then I slipped on yet another of Noah's t-shirts and laid down gingerly onto my couch. My cell phone was on the coffee table, the time blowing 3.30. It was always 3.30. Chapter 1, Sevenfold. I'm all right. Nobody worry about me. Kenny Loggins grinned repeatedly until I reached for my cell and turned off my alarm. I stood up and stretched, my muscles sore from the night before and the night before that. Trudging upstairs to the bedroom I hadn't slept in almost a year, I pulled out a pair of black flags and a black knitted sweater and threw them on the bed. I made sure that the news groaned on as loud as possible, drowning out the deafening silence and made my way to the bathroom. Turning on the shower, as hot as possible, I brushed my teeth, the nightshirt thrown on the floor. I steadied myself in the mirror. My body had gotten thinner, 
and my ribs were starting to stick out. Okay. Keep yeah, keep girl, I think you did it. I mean, honestly, it's so much pressure that writers have to like get this like impression clearly. And obviously I'm saying that as someone who literally reviews them and does have to reject and accept them. Like I said, the query and the first page so clearly did know to me that this is a thriller, um, that there is tension and that there is mystery. And I do feel like sometimes when it, uh, I like this example a lot because it's clear to me what the book is. And I think that sometimes is the hardest part when it comes to putting a great package together. So um, I think that you did such a stunning job on that. Um, and it's really clear to me that she's unreliable, maybe not as a narrator, but as a character. And she's She's going through a lot. She's waking up in this forest and she has these scratches and that it's like dark, it's cold and all these things. And we get the idea that this is a recurring thing. So much so that she just goes back to bed. Like she doesn't even bother showering. And I think that's such a good detail. And it gives us a lot in terms of like kind of where her headspace is at, how she prioritizes her pain and her grief and sort of what her relationship is with these nightly occurrences. So I think that that's something, it's really hard to so easily emulate routine, the routine of something while also giving it an emotional impact. So I think that that comes across really clear. And really my only notes for these opening pages, it, it wasn't quite clear to me what was actually happening. I first thought she was having a dream, like or a nightmare. And as I mean, then it was just like, actually, then it was like, oh no, she's actually has been like sleepwalking or some sort. So I think here is also my other biggest note about big notes is that Baby, y'all got to give us something. We can't just be out here implying things like that. <laughs> the mystery is sometimes not what you think it is, right? So you could just say like, even if it's just like, and it's like, also, how does she feel about um, just waking up in the forest in the middle again? Like if someone's just like so over it, like they're so depressed, so over it, you should be like, I have to like uh, clean these up, my cuts up later or something like that. Or yeah. if it's something that really depresses her, she would be getting anxiety over it. So a lot, you can bring more personality of this character okay. um, into those like little things. Cause you know, the same way, like a happy-go-lucky person is not going to wash like birds off their car, like the same way someone who's like, you know, stressed out yeah. all the time. And you, that helps with like word choices a lot. And in books, it just gives more specificity to a character. So that's kind of like my biggest note about that opening session is just to be more clear and like upfront with us like what exactly is happening and then relay more about Grayson's like you know through sort of word choice and how like we're describing things and then the same thing when she's in the shower I think the Kenny Loggins I think anything when it comes to music and media that a character mentions is really important I feel like Kenny Loggins really does give the idea of a specific type of person her interests age like things like that in such a short simple way oh wait one more one more one more also okay going back to the, the picture that she finds and it's like, she doesn't know if she broke it or not or things like that. I thought that was yeah. so great. And then the lasting image of how her mother wanted a family or her mother-in-law wanted a family. I think that also points to a lot of mystery in her relationship with her husband and her in-laws. And I thought that was like such a great way to end. I wish I could repeat this like every morning when I wake up and hear your voice saying all this because that that was, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so we have Stephanie Winter. Okay, Kendra, why don't you come up and tell us your nomination? Hi. Hi, welcome. Hi, I'm Kendra. And I was told about this event by my writing critique partner, Paige. And we've been working together for a few years now. We started working on memoirs together. 
And honestly, Paige has just been so amazing to work with from the first time I read her pages. It was really evident just like how beautiful her prose is. Um, She's such a talented writer. And not only that, but she's always trying to improve her craft, um, taking part in events like this and retreats and courses and, you know, sharing her um, her successes and her tips and her struggles and everything in between on Instagram. And she's an amazing critique partner. I always leave with something to work on and think about. And yeah, she's just a joy to work with. And I'm really excited that she was chosen today. That's so nice. Okay, Paige, I'm asking you to unmute. And Stephanie, why don't you say a few words first? I love this for a couple of reasons. One of which is what Kendra had said, which is the prose. The moment I'm like reading the first page, I'm getting sucked into the visuals and we'll talk about more later, but like it, it was just really lovely to kind of immerse into the protagonist's head. Um, and then the other thing I love about this is the potential. Like there is a trigger warning that it is a 9-11 um, mentioned memoir text, but there's something really interesting about the fact that we still see a lot of deals come through about post 9-11 works, it has totally pivotally changed our experiences. And then we are just off the heels of, uh, maybe not off the heels of, but like with COVID and the pandemic that has happened, I think there's something really unique about having those memoirs coming out now of self-reflecting on what happened 20 years ago, and then also how that is informing the reader who's reading it today. So I thought the potential was just wildly fun and interesting. And also there's like a science element of Paige's backstory, which is also really cool. And I will geek out about that in a minute, but I will stop talking. Those are many of the reasons why I love this work. Thank you. This is so exciting. Thank you, Kendra, for those nice words. Thank you, Stephanie. All right. I'll start with the query. Dear Agent, at 92,000 words, Florence Ever After is a memoir told with the passion and curiosity that made Hope Jaron's Lab Girl a bestseller and the coming-of-age feminism that people rooted for in Joanna Rakoff's My Salinger Year. It's the story about friendship, community, identity, and the choices women make that define their lives. At 28 years old, I was awarded a prestigious research fellowship to the University of Florence, Italy, that promised to accelerate my career and lead to a coveted academic faculty position. I kissed my boyfriend of two years goodbye, put all my belongings in storage, and moved to Italy without speaking Italian. What could go wrong? One week after I arrived, the tragic events of 9-11 occurred, beginning a long stretch of confusion and isolation in my new adopted home. As the only outsider in the physiology department, I struggled to form relationships with my Italian colleagues and somehow get experiments done in a workday that didn't start until 9 a.m. and included two-hour lunches. After I'd been gone a few months, my boyfriend visited Florence only to tell me he'd moved on. Heartbroken and with no remaining ties to my old life, I focused on mastering the single fiber muscle technique I'd gone to Florence to learn. But limited financial resources and broken equipment stymied my project, and I was forced to spend precious time away from the lab. Soon I became friends with an outgoing female scientist from France and fell hard for a laid-back expat. But with only a small window to complete and publish my research project, I had to choose between finishing experiments that would secure my next position or putting my remaining time and fellowship money towards my mentor's research. After my one year in Florence, I returned to the U.S. to a new city and a new research position, hopeful for my career, hopeful for love, forever changed. And then there's some bio. 
Okay. Awesome. So I love a bunch of things about this. So one of the things that I thought was really fun is the fact that you are like marrying so many different things in one text and it's possible to do so. You have the career component and the uh, repercussions of whether or not you succeed versus your mentor's success versus your future success. And so there's a lot of really interesting stakes and tensions there. You also have the really interesting stake and tension of knowing that when you travel somewhere and then 9-11 hits, the entire expectation of what your year is going to be like is forever changed. What I would love to see in this query is because you have those interesting components that have their inherent stakes. I would love to see you find those like key moments and really tighten up that paragraph where you're describing some of those experiences that are happening because you have the stakes there. You have the 9-11 piece. You have the career success. You also mentioned going back home to the U.S. And I was kind of curious about if that is part of the book itself or if that's the ending. I'm kind of hoping it's part of the book itself because it's that, you know, experiencing something as an expat in Florence while everybody back home is experiencing it versus the idea of you then coming home after a year has passed it to a literally changed United States, like nothing is the same. So you have a lot of really interesting frictions there by virtue of the way that this um, lived experience has developed for you. And so I would want to see if you can maybe tighten up some things. Maybe we don't need as much about the boyfriend, although it is really heart-wrenching to hear that he came all the way to Florence to tell you he has moved on. That is a choice. I would love to maybe see that tightened up a little bit so that we can really appreciate what you are trying to show and convey to the reader because the the surface level is all of the stuff that has happened to you and that is all interesting and we've kind of just touched on that. The extra layer of why this is a memoir that could be really powerful is because you are arranging your understanding of what has happened to you in such a way that you want to make the reader come to a new conclusion or to see things differently. And for me, I've blathered on about what parts stand out for me. If those are what stand out for you, I think that's how I would really position this so that you can you can lead your reader to the sort of paradigm shifting experience of reading this book and being forever changed by this book. And I think you have a number of elements there as to why that could work. My only other thing would be to look to maybe updating your comps just a little bit. They're a little bit in the like 2010s era, and if you can find something to reference in the last two to three years, it'll continue to help being able to situate this in the current market. But yeah, I I think that there's so much potential here. And I have so many questions about how the story ends, which is counterintuitive to this um, first pages and query critique, but there's a lot of interesting material here. Thank you. That's all such helpful advice. I'm really hoping to query in 2024. So I really appreciate that. And we'll definitely take all that to heart. Are we okay to switch to um, the page? I don't want to put you on the spot. Yeah, go for it. You're getting some really beautiful encouragement, by the way. So I hope you will take that feeling with you when you query in 2024. Thank you. Okay, I'll read the first page. September 2001, Florence, Italy. Whenever I imagined Florence, the sun was always shining. But on my first night in that magical city, I stared out my hotel room window as thunder echoed through the narrow stone streets of the old city center. My suitcase with everything I'd packed for the year was lost somewhere between Florence and the baggage check at Kansas City International. Wrapping bare arms around my knees, I counted the seconds until the next spark of lightning like my mom taught me. But this storm sounded nothing like the ones unleashed on the wide open Kansas plains of my childhood. 
The bedside lamp flickered and my stomach cramped with unease. To calm my nerves, I tried to picture the research lab at the University of Florence where I would work for the next year. Next to me on the bed was a stack of research articles, highlighted and with tidy notes in the margins about muscle proteins with names like myosin, actin, nebulin, and my new favorite, and the one I would research this year, the mighty Titan. I rested my hand on the stack and felt the cool, smooth surface of the paper against my palm, brushed my thumb along the feather-soft frayed edges. Neatly folded at the end of the bed were the running shorts tank and sports bride brought in my carry-on, my socks and running shoes just below on the floor waiting. I planned to run every inch of the city when not working in the lab. I'd squeeze in a museum visit now and then, have a glass of Chianti, learn Italian. My list of all the things I'd accomplished this year was long. I'd thought of everything, but I hadn't expected to feel so alone. I reached for the phone to call Ben, but the line was dead from the storm. With the next crack of thunder, I leapt off the twin-size bed and, still fully dressed, scrambled in the dark to find my shoes. I grabbed my backpack and rushed out the door. Downstairs, the handsome young Italian at the hotel front desk called out to me, but I hurried past and out into the rain. Okay. This, I love the voice here. Right off the bat, looking at the first paragraph, I'm immediately feeling like I am reading a novel, which is what you're kind of looking for when you're you're working in memoir in that creative nonfiction space. And everything about this first page has the reader in the state of anticipation because we are so aware that 9-11 is coming. We are aware of that because in September being introduced underneath your chapter one, we're aware that something is going to happen, but you don't give us the obvious thing. You set up this just lovely dark and stormy night sort of storm context, but then you've made it new. You've made it the thing that we're not expecting because you've almost intentionally misdirected us to think about some of the bigger events that are up and coming. The language is just really lovely with the visuals of like the stone streets and the thunder and the way that you bring in some of your like personal backstory to ground us. Um, So while we know the Florence piece, you're introducing the Kansas City uh, piece as well and your childhood in that first chapter, uh, in that first paragraph without really bogging us down in exposition. So that worked really well for me. I also love that you continue to show us setbacks of, you know, you lost your luggage um, and then the storm and whatnot. So you kind of give us this series of unfortunate events right off the bat that, that we're eager for you to overcome. And when we move into sort of the more research-based content I want to see that lab that you're thinking of because you mentioned that you try to picture it and then we don't see it. And so I'm so curious to see what, even in like one line, what that might be because we're going to presumably see that your visual for what is going to be this great experience perhaps isn't going to be fulfilled or lived up to in some way. So if you can create that contrast of what you imagine this lab to be, we can then understand that there's either you know, your your expectations fulfilled or your expectation is later disappointed, it creates that ability for us to feel that emotion later on. And I love that she or that you run out into into the dark and stormy night. I would almost perhaps cut out the piece about your your carry-on luggage because later when you say I'm struggling to find my shoes, it almost works better if we don't know that you do kind of have a little bit of a setup meticulously placed out with your carry-on luggage. So little things like that so that we can continue to feel the the emotional thrust of her having to run outside and for it to be a little bit chaotic and unfamiliar. And I really leave this page waiting (laughs) to have the other shoe to drop. I know something is going to happen. I'm not 
100% sure which is the thing that's going to happen on this night. But I thought it was really lovely how you continue to give the protagonist or yourself these barriers to overcome with calling Ben, but Ben isn't going to be able to answer. But then also we know from the query that Ben maybe probably doesn't want to answer. So there's all these really interesting layers and I'm waiting for, you know, to turn the next page and see whatever's on page two that's going to make me completely um, shocked or hooked or something, or like I'm waiting for that other shoe to drop. Maybe it's at the end of your, at the end of the chapter. And that is not a bad thing. I'm just like very full of anticipation when I read this first page. Thank you. That is, oh my gosh, that is music to my ears. Thank you so much. Oh, we all have the anticipation to read more. That's lovely. Okay. Other agents, any, anyone want to weigh in? I would just, you know, go off of Stephanie. I completely agree. You do such a great job of creating a sense of place, right? The setting is really a character and even bringing in, like Stephanie brought up, you talked about Kansas City, just even for a second and then Rome. And then you subvert our expectations in a really interesting way, right? Because, and I was in Florence just this year too, and it was very rainy. And I just remember going, oh, I did not expect that. So yeah, I thought that it really stuck out in a unique way because even just describing Florence, you could have gone the usual route, but you started out in a different perspective. So I thought that was interesting. Also, all of you are putting really beautiful comments in the chat in support of you, saying this is a magical place. We hope so. I've certainly felt moved by this evening. Okay, those looking for a critique partner, manuscriptacademy.com slash Facebook. We will add you there. Um, any other panelists want to jump in? before we get to Q&A and prizes. I just want to say that I would also want to drink Chianti in Italy. <laughs> it's one of my favorite wines. But and I also really like, like my parents taught me that too, you know, that whole like, oh, count between, you know, the thunder, different things like that. So I think it's, it's really relatable. But again, like both Stephanie and Linda said, it's so much in so little space that people can relate to. And you don't get that a lot when it comes to something like a memoir. And that's why I think, as Stephanie said, it kind of feels more like a novel, which is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I have to say the best memoirs read like novels. And I think you've got that here. Novels that happen to be true. Okay. Does anyone need help with anything that cannot be Googled? Are you re receiving AI submissions? Oh, how would you know? Have any of you received anything and you're like, this is definitely written by a robot? You're all very quiet. We don't know. Not yet, as far as I, I know. I think one of my colleagues did um, for a picture book, and I think it was pretty pretty obvious. It wasn't super well done for the AI. So I'm curious to see if I am, well, I've been close to submissions, but when I do reopen, I'm curious to see if things come my way in that vein. Mm -hmm. But I haven't really heard of many people getting that, at least as far as they're aware of. Yeah, which is concerning. It's kind of like the people who try to repitch Jane Austen's work, right? Remember when that was a trend, like maybe 10 years ago? It was like, oh, yeah. they're rejecting Jane Austen. Let's reject publishing. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, how many social media followers do agents want you to have for fiction? I don't think anyone's terribly worried about that, right? I feel like it's a bonus, right? Like if you have a following, that's excellent in fiction. Because then your friends, followers, whatnot, will hopefully buy and pre-order your book. But it's not um, a must. Uh, for those working on science fiction and fantasy, what trends are you seeing? And are there timeless tropes or themes you're happy to see now? I think a few of you work on sci-fi fantasy, yeah? I've been noticing a lot more requests for cozy fantasy, I, which I love. 
But it's really hard to say because it's such a, again, I think every market's a tight market, but I have noticed a lot more editors whenever I talk to them. And I don't specialize in sci-fi fantasy, though I do take on some in that. The cozy fantasy, cozy, all. I'm curious to see if there'd be cozy sci-fi. I'm sure there is somewhere. Maybe someone here would be the breakout person, but cozy fantasy, people are all into that. And I know I am too. Yeah, they're all drinking tea. I like Oh my goodness. Lots of people here with some cozy fantasy. Lots of people commenting on how you all are glowing. Well done, friends. Let's see here. Okay. If you take on a book and don't have an editor in mind, what do you do? This is just my experience, but I think more often than not, I have like an idea of what imprints I would want to submit the projects to. And then like, of course, the editors that would be the best fit, but it's not that I'm taking on a project because I want one specific editor to buy it numbers wise. And maybe Caitlin can speak to this better than I can, but numbers wise, that math does not work all the time. So yeah, I build from story then to list for submissions, if that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't understand the question. So I'm glad you took that. Cause I was like, I was, I was thinking like an editor to help you edit it. And I was like, I don't understand. Um, editors at publishers and imprints. Sorry, it's getting late guys. Yeah. I think the way that I kind of work is as long as I have a feel where I could see it in the market, I generally kind of, you know, at the same time kind of think, and when I'm, when I have a call with someone, I'm kind of like, I could see it at this imprint, this imprint, this imprint. And so, yeah, I'm not, I do think of specific editors, but like, I really am thinking the imprint because imprint is kind of what represents your book. You know, certain imprints have certain feels. I think the one that makes me giggle the most is that Fywell and Friends is about friendship books. Almost all their books are friendship books. And I think that's just like super cute and it's super on the nose, but it's super adorable, especially with picture books. But yeah, so I'm really thinking about the imprint. Certain editors pop into my head that I hope to send to, but I'm not always like, Oh, it has to be that exact editor. Thank you so much for being here. Your community and support means so much. You've all been so lovely to your fellow writers, and it's just absolutely beautiful to see. Um, thank you so much to our panel and their insightful feedback. And thank you all for being here. We appreciate you. This just feels incredibly life-affirming and beautiful, and I will take this feeling into the new year. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.